It's a nice sunny day and you're outside. 70 years old, 20 years old, 5, 25, any age. You're at a park playing a game. What are you playing? Checkers? Cards? No. One of the most classic games of all time, chess. Welcome back to Off the Top Podcast. Today we're bringing you down the chess hole. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm your host, Julian, with Jordan. Jordan, how you feeling? Dude, I'm hyped. That was a really good intro. I'm excited for this, dude. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Jordan and I may or may not have been avid chess players. I wouldn't tell you what my ELO rating is, which you'll learn about later. Uh, but I do love playing chess. I don't ever really remember my moves, but it is a fun game just to stretch the mind. Exactly. And uh, I really enjoyed basically when Julian and I lived together, we had at all times a chess game going just about. And so like through this game, we've, you know, learned a few things and it's uh, been quite an essential piece to home as far as both of us are concerned. Yeah, we probably played a few hundred games throughout the course of long days or back to back games, everything in between. But the real question is, you know, where did chess come from? What's the history of chess? How do you rate it? What are the top titles? Um, where are these players from? And that's what we wanted to dive into a little, little more fun. If you know, you play chess casually like us or you play competitively, you might find out some new stuff um, about the history of chess. So without further ado, pretty much what we know about chess today is that it started in North India and where it kind of came from is it was originally named and get ready for this one guys chaturanga and it was played on kind of the two-tone board that we see but this twist is is that it was played with dice and it was also a four-player game which is obviously not what we're used to now yeah i couldn't imagine trying to play four-player chess so i'm glad you know over time it came down to two but during that time yeah definitely started in india it was more of a royalty-based game um, and some people would play, you know, from what I've heard to some of the females in that community are actually really solid at the game at the time, um, when it often beat, beat the princes and the kings. And eventually chess, you know, has to move. Um, because as we look at it today, you kind of think of it as a, a European game, but with their or origination in India, how did it get to Europe? And there's a kind of a weird long path where, you know, it starts in India and then it ends up kind of spreading to Persia. But what really boosts it is that the Arabians conquer Persia and then those that Muslim culture takes up the game of Chaturanga and that kind of spreads and changes throughout this timeline into different versions of the game, eventually getting towards uh, Southern Europe and involving in the 12th century to, to chess. And I think this is one of those quintessential, It's it sounds weird that I'm about to say one of those quintessential when it's something that's really odd and wouldn't be something that we'd find today, but a quintessential thing of something spreading through trade and conquering. And that's kind of what Chaturunga was at first was, you know, through the silk trade and through, you know, other countries, enveloping other countries. That's how we have kind of this presence. And then, like Julian said, it spreads towards Europe. And that's when kind of you see kind of the elemental change or development of the game as far as pieces and, you know, functions of the board and even names go. Yeah. And I like to imagine during these trading times, um, 
you know, very similar to your dudes outside hanging out of 7-Eleven with their 40s bouncing some dice off the wall. But it's just, you know, strategic chess and the Silk Roads were getting down and dirty about how they're going to move their pieces or Chaturanga pieces at the time um, and just having fun. And I, I think that's how, you know, we see chess today is people just playing in the park. It's a way of communication. It's a way of telling stories, but stressing the mind. And it does have to come a long way. And that's where, you know, you get some of those shifts of um, various pieces and names as time goes on to what we see today. Exactly. So just as one of one of the ones that I found kind of quite interesting was that at first they called a piece the elephant. And then what we know as the or what they know as the elephant, we know as the bishop, which is it doesn't make much sense as far as I'm concerned. And also it changed as far as functionality goes. So um, in Southeast Asia, it was one square diagonally or one square forwards, like the four legs and the trunk of an elephant. And then it went from there to the old Indian rules was two squares sideways or front and back and no more or no less, but you could jump over a piece in between. So almost like the knight-ish, but from side to side and left and right. And then when it came to Persia, they had two squares diagonal, but could jump over the places like in places in between. So it seems like kind of like culturally everywhere had their own different rules. So it's almost like playing Uno or beer pong at somebody's house. You gotta like go over the house rules just so you're not in violation and you know how the game's about to be played. But uh, you can see that even with this noble game, the evolution in itself becomes a thing of like, wow, okay, so we started here, and then someone's like, well, actually, I think that it should do this, X, Y, Z, and now we have a smooth and polished bishop that can go any as many spaces as it wants diagonally. And I, I couldn't imagine how brutal it would be today if that bishop was playing an old Indian version and you could just jump over a piece You're like, all right, see you later, little hurdle. Like I would, you wouldn't be able to forecast for that. That'd be brutal. And then the other huge game changer was the original name of this piece was the advisor. Um, and that is what we know today as the queen. But instead of the queen being, you know, a more powerful, one of the most powerful pieces, um, back then, you could only move one square diagonally, one place. So you couldn't shoot up the board, shoot to the side, um, just moving one square. So it, it really would have limited your strategies while playing. Um, but you can see kind of why those names over time change, like the the advisor going from, you know, being the servant to the king to more of the queen role that gets to Europe. And also the elephant, obviously, tying into the Indian religion, um, changing more so to a bishop as we get to, once again, over to Europe and kind of more common names over there um, is how some of those how some of those changed. And another example is the rook was called the chariot um, or the pawn being called the foot soldier. And so I, I, I guess I want to backtrack a little bit and for those to address kind of the, the haters right now listening. And so for you, those of you who believe that it was invented in China, uh, come on, dog. So basically, there's a thing that's um, out there that says that China invented this around 200 BC uh, by a commander, Han Jin. Uh, who was basically wanted to represent a particular battle. And so after that battle, they put it away. 
And then a century after India came out with this game, they came back out with it. And so like in itself, I think that that is extremely fishy. Um, something I definitely wanted to mention just because some, and granted, I don't know who, but if they're, if you guys are out there, I am a strong believer that it started in North India and that China is just trying to hop on the Steez train on this one. And I'm going to have to call them out for it. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit fishy. To, it's essentially like saying, oh, yeah, I, I invented the, the Lamborghini, but, you know, I just didn't want to share it with the world. So as soon as it came out, I have I'll say that I took place in that. Um, and that's I, maybe that's the strategy of chess. Um, but you know, as we, as we move along, eventually you get the first modern chess tournament, the things you've seen in, you know, the, the old Pixar intros, um, that the first tournament was in 1851 in London and was actually won by German Adolf Andersen, um, Adolf, very common German name, but at the time he was relatively unknown and it later turns out that he was a chess master, you know, he's brilliant, energetic crazy attacking style which some of these adjectives i found while doing the research which it's it's very funny to think of um you know a game of chess as someone who's you know very crazy and energetic when it comes to the board and how the pieces move i think more of taunting but this was him in 1851 um and event he had a very famous game called the immortal game um and the immortal game essentially he gave up both rooks, his bishop, and then his queen, and then eventually ended up checkmating his opponent with his three remaining minor pieces. Um, so he really put a lot on the line at the time, and there wasn't a whole lot of people pushing the game like that and thinking strategy, so he was way far and above. Dude, what a, what a pimp slap of a move. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> I just took this dummy's queen, and then he checkmates me with three pawns and a knight. Yeah, I couldn't imagine the the feeling of, you know, like, oh, I've, I've taken two rooks so far, I'm rolling, uh, you know, I've taken his queen, I'm feeling pretty good, he's down a bishop, and boom, oh, hey, little guy, like, it looks like, looks like I gotta knock this, this puppy over. But did, to address something that you did say, Julian, is that, you know, he played with an energetic style, and I think that chess, like a lot of things, has a evolution as far as personality goes and how people play the game, just like basketball, just like football. Um, the way that we play it today is different than the way that they played it 50 years ago, and particularly in chess, you know, the way that they played it today or the way that they play it today is different than a hundred years ago. So it goes through evolutions where, you know, you might find somebody with a quirky style back in the day that is totally common and pedestrian now. So I think that that's probably one thing that might be the reason for uh, Adolf's just kind of like clutch moves is because the homie has a unique style. And a lot of times creative thinkers, especially in chess, are rewarded. Yeah. And uh, one other thing to touch on too, the, you know, the immortal game, he finishes the game by checkmating the opponent. Um, and if we go back to the early phases, instead of checkmate, they used to yell the word Shah, which essentially meant, you know, the king is hep helpless, um, which results in checkmate today. Um, so, you know, if you really feel like putting on someone or, you know, doing some little bit of taunting, you can throw that old 
that old description of check naked out of them. Just keep yelling Shaw and see what they do. Because if they don't know, they don't, they don't know. And you've already won and you're walking away and you flip the table. So, you know, be the bad boy. Be the Ron Artest of chess if you can. Um, you know, that's my suggestion. Yeah, absolutely. Or you can have the the classic Magnus Carlsen where he was playing a, a guy in chess and then basically uh be, like at the they were moving and he just called he said too weak too slow and then ended up bodying him so i'm i'm a fan of the bad boys of chess please i want more dennis rodmans in the game and uh yeah to to magnus carlson current grand master of chess and there's a few different titles that you can get in chess grandmaster being the highest um and then you know followed on shortly under by international man's master you have the f-i-d-e or um the uh world chess federation master and then you have the the candidate master and these are all ranked based on um uh, what they call an elo score yeah an elo score is basically the way that um they go about kind of finding or gauging the relative skill level of some of these players in uh, like in zero sum games like chess. So the it was created by Arpad Elo, uh, a Hungarian and American physicist professor, which makes perfect sense. Yeah, and these Elo ratings you you'll see get thrown around quite a bit. I really wasn't sure what it was before, but essentially it's a really confusing calculation, and a lot of the the federations use different calculations for their Elo rating. But um, you know if to get down to the bare bones, you get a rating, your opponent gets a rating. If you win, you steal a soul. Just kidding. You just steal some of his ELO points. So that's how you rank up over time based on your opponents and based on, you know, um, you know how many tournament games you're playing, uh, how many, you know, if your opponents are ranked, if they aren't ranked. Um, that's going to is what levels you up essentially by stealing other people's experience points. So, you know, if you get close to one of these titles, then you go on a huge losing streak, your um, ELO rating will continue to go down. But once you reach one of these titles, so as soon as you reach Grandmaster, you keep that title forever. Um, even if you dip below, you know, the 20, I think the the high limit or the limit to get into Grandmaster is 2,500 ELO. So if you dip below that, you'll still be, you know, referred to as a Grandmaster. You might not be making that point. Um, but people will know you were there at one point in time. And so those of you who are so curious about that, the highest score that you can get as far as an ELO goes is 3,000. The highest we've seen today is 2,851 by Gary Kasparov. And so you can see that the game of chess is still yet to be quite perfected. And um, there's so many different moves, so many different ways of playing that it's almost... Um, it takes a long time to figure out the optimal way and short of obviously, you know, playing, going against like, um, you know, deep blue, like Bobby Fischer did and things of that nature. It, it's, it's one of those games that have a lot to be discovered still, I believe. And even though it's relatively kind of been around for a while. Yeah, and that's, you know, the tough thing we found while doing this podcast is there's so many different strategies and fundamentals and different moves that could happen in chess. That's why it was a benchmark for Deep Blue and computer um, learning programs to if they can start consistently beating humans and consistently competing with other computers. 
Um, it shows that they have a really advanced thought process or um, automated learning going on. And it's still very far for humans to, you know, figure out how to get to a perfect 3000 score, you know, essentially never lose. Um, and to even just get to a grandmaster, you have to play nine tournament games, play two p- players outside of your own federation. You have 50% of your opponents have to be titled in some regard. You have to have a minimum rating or your opponents have to have a minimum rating of 2380 ELO. And to eventually get to that grandmaster, you have to surpass 25 or 2600 to get there. So it's not easy for humans. And that shows how many variations there is to the game where to get to that spot where you're considered very, very elite and you're in that 0.3% of players in the World Chess Federation that become a grandmaster. Yeah. And so I do want to amend something. I did say that Gary Kasparov had the highest ELO rating with 2851, but my boy Magnus, after doing some research, has the ELO rating of 2875. So, and as as Magnus Carlsen once said, my opponent is an idiot till proven otherwise. So that's that's why I'm a fan of this dude. He's he's he, nobody can stop him. Yeah, if you guys don't know who Magnus Carlsen is, one of my favorite videos is that he goes to New York and plays um, like the traditional hustlers in uh, Central Park, who by all means are pretty solid chess players. Um, that hustle people who think they're good, but sends like an eight year old kid out there and is watching like on a monitor or something like that and is telling the kids the moves to make. And in the middle of the game, he looks at the camera and says, wow, I played this game just last week. Uh, remembered everything and just like stunted on the dude and the little eight year old ended up beating him. But very interesting to see how that dude's mind works. And I mean, even when he plays and it's streamed on Twitch, he'll get like 50,000 viewers for this his chess matches and i think it's one of those things where you have somebody who's uh so so gifted the world's best ranked number one in chess and still like has a quite a bit of personality and is somebody that you can absolutely relate to on a human level and isn't kind of this computer on two legs so to speak and also he's relatively young uh born 1990 and the the guy's just a kind of a menace in the streets as far as chess goes and is is not afraid to kind of demonstrate it and let everybody else know but to go further on i would love to talk about kind of like the top 10 countries as far as chess goes so julian i want you to guess number one country in, in chess number one country in chess my guess is going to be Sweden. Sweden? Sweden. Uh, they're not even in the top 10. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. But the number one country is Russia. Mm. And mm. how does that sit with you? <laughs> I, I just, I wouldn't have picked a country known for its vodka to be the, the chess, the chess masters. That's fair. Uh, so then number two, I would just give you the, like the smooth top five. Number two is the USA obviously um because and then number three china number four our originators india number five ukraine so kind of a odd mix for sure but all i can all see them being in there for sure yeah uh, very interesting and 
Um, going back to, you know, 0.3% of people in the World Chess Federation are grandmasters. Um, I think there's over 1,500 grandmasters living and deceased. Don't quote me on that. But you have to think about the amount of like how easy it is to access chess, essentially. Like you can play through elementary school. You can find a board at like your local library. You can do a lot of different things. You can play online if you have access to that. Um, so there's probably ton, like tons of people that are trying to enter and playing. And it is an always evolving game. So seeing that top five breakdown is, is very interesting to see how this worldwide sport um, or tabletop game, whatever you want to categorize it in, um, is, you know, testing brains all around the world in one um, similar language of chess. Exactly. It's a universal it's a universal game. You know, regardless if you can speak the language of somebody, you could play chess with them. And I think that it is one of those sports where and I do believe I would I would believe it is a I mean, not a physical sport, but um, uh, it's a, a mental sport, a sport of like quite great gymnastics, prediction, um, you know, like pattern analysis and a psychological game that is played as well. If you go back and kind of learn and do a little bit of research on some of those classic games with Bobby Fischer and um, some really, really good Russian players back in the day, you'll see that even like psychologic, like psychology is enveloped into these games. But one of those games that I appreciate and I think that, you know, regardless of who picks it up, I think they're going to be a better person or more well-rounded um from it itself by using the game and building skills that the game requires for you to be good exactly and you know catch us on the streets challenge us to a game of chess or shoot us an email with a chess game invite um, our email is the off the top podcast at gmail.com or on social at off the top cast jordan and i sh- i'm sure as hell would play you in chess not saying me as julian would beat you um but you know I'd make it interesting in some way. Maybe try to throw out the most oddball move I can find and see if that throws off your game plan. But we'd love to hear from you guys about what your thoughts on chess are or even interact with you and play. Yeah, we could run that fade, homie. (laughs) Catch you guys later. (laughs)